0: Revelations four beginning at the ninth verse And when those beasts gave honor, gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth for ever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Heavenly Father, we come before You at this portion of service. First off, thankful for the blessings that we receive from Your bountiful hand, undeserved and unmerited, but nevertheless they're there. Thank You, Father, for favor that we've found in Your eyes. There again, that's grace, unmerited favor of the living God. Fathers, we stand here reminiscing over what you are. We find that all things come from you and that we're nothing. So we stand before you just like that, Father. Only want to be an instrument in your hands to be used. Your unction is not here. Then the anointing, Father, is not here. Then there's very little value in what can be said. You must breathe upon the Word. You must make it become alive. But you must first breathe upon the vessel withhold it we pray father that you would do that in jesus name amen i was studying on a thought that i've searched out for quite some time and in studying that i was trying to crack uh, cry, trying to track down crowns and their meaning and how many of them they were and uh, in doing that this one particular scripture crossed my mind, and I went ahead and did some more work, and the Spirit still began to speak to me, and I went back to it only to have one word out of those four, three verses that I read to you stand out, and the Lord began to speak to me on that one word, began to challenge my thinking and my mind, and it'd be utterly impossible for me to in the length of time that you would you would allow me, it would be impossible for you to speak for me to speak to you tonight upon all the things that God has spoken to me about. But in the tenth verse, it says, "Worship." Four and twenty elders fall down before Him and sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying. And it goes on to say what they were saying and what they said. And uh, I'm going to talk tonight about worship. Worship. Everybody's got their idea about worship, haven't they? Every church has got their idea what worship consists of. Every individual's got their idea about how a person, how one ought to worship God. I've looked at it and I've often wondered I don't know if any of you other ministers have or maybe some in the congregation I've often wondered really what type of worship God really would be pleased with. I realize the Pentecostals will go to the the denominal churches and their worship we say is dry and uh, then they come to ours and well of course ours is dry sometime most of the time I suppose to what it was but Anyway, ours is just a little more lively. And uh, the question is, which worship is right? What, what is worship, anyway? Wonder, somebody out there, let's have a little bit of participation tonight from the congregation or from the ministers. What, what does worship mean to you? Anybody care to volunteer? I'm not going to put you down or disrespect your idea, but I just wonder, I mean, just to challenging you, as this word did me, just what does worship mean to you? What, what is it saying? Worship to Brother Jewell is submission, submission to God. Worship to Brother Ken is to love God. That's doing good, I, I appreciate that. Worship is magnify and lift him up. Worship is to just get involved with God and have a love affair with him. Just tell him how much you appreciate him and how much you love him. All of these are good. Somebody else, sister. Honor and reverence God. Satisfaction. Praise the Lord. Reaching out toward God. Who was that? Exalt him. All right, that's worshiping God now we often proclaim that we come into God's house that's the song we sing we have come into this house to magnify the Lord and worship him now I'm wondering sometimes if we don't get just a little over involved in our saints in our thinking is this why we're here tonight really Truthfully, have we been driven here by a sense of duty? Maybe have we come to bargain with God? You know, just place a little bargain out before Him? Or does it seem like, because we've been Christians for so long, that it's just the thing to do? Really, have we come? And that's the question I'm asking all of us. Really, have we come to worship Him and honor Him? Now, in the English, it means to love, means to admire, means to idolize, adore, respect, honor, and reverence. But from the Greek word, eusebio, e-u-s-e-b-e-o, simply as saying direct acknowledgement of God, acknowledgement of his nature, acknowledgement of his attributes, acknowledging his ways as right, acknowledging his claims on you, hallelujah, through words, deeds, and actions. So that's worship. Now then, let's go back and ask ourselves the question, when we came into God's house, did we directly acknowledge Him as God? Did we acknowledge His nature as it exists, divine and holy? And did we acknowledge that we have, through the power of the Holy Ghost, put on this divine nature and that it should be in control? Did we directly acknowledge his attributes and what he was and what he could do? And did we acknowledge his ways as being the right ways and ours all wrong, regardless of how much they go against our grain? And did we directly acknowledge, and this is what I want to get to us, did we directly acknowledge his claims on us? that He bought us, that He paid for us, that He paid a dear price for us. And as the Bible says, therefore, you are not your own, but you are bought with a price. God has a claim on us. And when we come into this house, or whether we have our worship other places wherever it might be, have we acknowledged All of these things, if we have, that's worship. That's worship to God. I noticed when I read on this, the four and twenty elders, and we'll not even go into who they are, but they displayed actually what worship was right there in just two verses. They cast their crowns before the throne. These were crowns of conquerors or of victors. And they cast their crowns before the throne in acknowledgement that it was God alone that caused them to be victorious. They did not just keep their crowns upon their head, but they were crowned victorious. And then when they come before the throne, they took them off, cast them before the great throne of God, as if to say, had it not been for you, I would never have been victorious. I would never have been a conqueror. So they acknowledged him directly acknowledged his nature, his attributes, his ways, his claims on them, and they did it through an action and through a deed. And then they begin to acknowledge him with words. And says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. If any of you ever had any wonder in your heart, Why God made you, he made you for his pleasure. Now I ask you a direct question. How much pleasure is God getting out of you? How much pleasure is he getting out of your life as it is lived? How much pleasure is he getting out of your actions? How much pleasure is he getting out of your conversations? How much pleasure actually is God getting out of what we term, quote unquote, our worship to him? I think as a church, I think as an individual, I think we have fell far short of really being involved with worship to God. I think once we ever saw what we term a mystery of how do you worship God, what does it entail and then put it into effect, I think we're going to alleviate and eliminate a lot of problems, a lot of downfalls, a lot of heartaches, and most of all, a lot of dissatisfaction. How many of you, and be truthful with me, how many of you have come and termed what you called worshipped God and went away dissatisfied? Amen? All of us have, haven't we? I ask you then, if we have done it in the right way, would we not have been filled with satisfaction? Is not this what God says when we come to Him that He is the satisfier? And if we're doing what we're supposed to do, would we not feel a sense of fullness in ourselves and not emptiness and dissatisfaction and failure of having busted, as we've said often, we feel like we're just up against the wall. We can't bust through it. Well, it should present us no problem. Actually, if we're directly, immediately, when we come into God's house or whenever we do our private or public worship or whatever we might do, when we come there to acknowledge Him as God. But it's hard to acknowledge God as the supreme being when we have our other little gods crowding in almost every time we think something, isn't it? I realize all of us want to worship a one God. I realize we believe that there is one supreme God. But when we come to Him in worship... We have simply some way got to learn how to turn off these other little things that uh, run us about in our world. That us problems and eliminate them and come right direct to God in direct acknowledgement that he is our God. That there's none beside him and acknowledge his nature as what it is. His ways and more than anything else to acknowledge, I mean from here acknowledge from your heart with your whole being. And if you can't, then ask God to allow you to and He does have a claim on you. And if somebody has a claim on you, He is allowed to demand out of you whatsoever He wants. Amen? And God's not an unjust God and He is demanding out of us total submission. Submission. Completely, You know, I've noticed when we come in, and I, I'm not picking out any, any individuals, but place is weary, then there's no acknowledgement that God can take care of that weariness, is there? Amen? Come on, there's a certain setting back, failing to push through and acknowledge that God is not a God of weariness, but a God of strength. And a troublesome inner heart and mind. We're not acknowledging God as strong enough to push all of this out of the way. And yet in our feeble efforts, we try to lift our hands, some of us. Some of us never get them up. Amen. Some of us never open our mouth or our lips. Some of us come and sit in a pew in a congregation and never attempt to worship God in any manner or any way and then wonder why a sense of fulfillment doesn't come. It's because we're not giving to God. We're willing to take what we have, what we want, sit in the congregation, forget about it, saying, i fulfilled my duty. God, you ought to be pleased with me. Look at me. I'm in your house. What value is that? If your heart is not there, you just as well be sitting in a show building in an X-rated movie. That's harsh, but it is so. If your heart is there, then you are too. But God asks one thing explicitly out of us, and that is to come and immediately, directly, quickly, immediately, begin to get our heart and mind on Him. And you know, if we would stop long enough, I think we could pick out one thing in a hurry that we could begin to praise God for. Let's look at some of the worship. Now, first off, we've got to realize one thing, that there is one object of worship alone. Exodus 20 and 3 says it, Plain thou shalt have no other gods before me. As long as there is other gods, consciously or unconsciously, we cannot worship God. Not the way His worship is intended. Not this word that we're saying here, eszebiel. You simply cannot worship Him as they did there. And that's worship God is asking out of His church. And then He goes on to say in Matthew 4.10, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him only shalt thou serve or be of service to. Now is that not Bible or is that not Bible? And first off, this recognizes one object of worship alone, that's all God will accept. Oh, you say, but I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Sure you do. You have to live. You have to provide. God tells us we do. And in spite of all of that, there is a way. I pray God that all of us can find it. There is a way for God to be first in all of this. Amen? Now, the way that we do that is to be led by the Spirit. (laughs) and not with the flesh. And the more we entertain old flesh, the more dominant it is going to become. Now a lot of us think that it's foolish. I've heard some individual say not too long ago that I just don't even feel like raising my hands. And if I don't feel like it, I feel hypocritical. Why should you feel that way? Are you raising your hands to please flesh? Are you raising your hands Uh, just because place uh, might want to or not want to. You see, we haven't graduated past that. It is not hypocritical to honor God in any way, any time, any place, in any value that we do. In fact, God gets the greatest blessing out of an individual that don't feel like raising his hands, that don't feel like opening his mouth, and do it anyway, and he does somebody that runs off at the mouth all the time. Amen? You see, God can appreciate the weariness of our flesh because He took on a veil of flesh even as we. And He can appreciate the dominance that flesh would like to uh, get you involved in. And He can appreciate that so much that if you just slip up, and that's not always just lift your hands, it's not worship. That helps worship. Or just to cry out or get loud, it's not worship. I've heard one say, well, if you don't lift your hands, you're not worshiping Him. And uh, a lot of Pentecostal churches, if you don't have the jive kind of music and, and that that you can do, the uh, uh, what would you say, the jazz kind, it would jazz it up, you're not worshiping God. Others think you're too far out, and you ought to get some solid, solemn thing. That really, when it boils down to it, what is it anyway that God honors? Is it not that which is coming from our heart and our willingness to be involved with Him, to be involved with Him, our willingness to display whatever affection that He so desires. And if somebody says, lift your hands, it's not going to cost you a thing. It might win you something. If somebody says, say hallelujah, it's not going to cost you a thing. It might win you something. And worship means one. now. He went on to say no other, not even angels. Revelation 19.10 tells us about John uh, falling at defeat feet to worship the angel. He said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brother that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Now you see, if we could worship anything else, certainly we ought to be able to worship angels. But there's a solemn cry that you worship nothing else Save your God. Him alone shalt thou worship. Shalt you directly acknowledge His claims and His ways, His attributes, His divine guidance. To recognize that is to come into the place where we can worship. And there is a call to worship. Psalm says it so vividly, almost in every chapter. But I want to read you one especially in 95 6 and 7 and write these down and the psalmist david is crying, says oh come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker for he is our god and we are the people of his pastor the sheep of his hands let us bow down that simply means in humility giving everything we have ever thought we have over to god and let us kneel, humble ourselves, our whole heart, mind, soul, and body. One man told me just last week, he said, I I don't believe that God is pleased with us standing to pray. I said, you could bow every knee you want to bow, and that's not going to get the job done. The bowing has to be done from the heart. And it really matters not what position you're in as long as the heart is bowed before God. You can bow before God and stand straight as a stick. You can bow before God and drive your car. You can bow before God and do your dishes. You can bow or kneel before God and go about your daily walk of life. In other words, bowing before God is humility before him and is saying, God, none of the rest of this matters if you have to go out of my life. Hallelujah. And then there's preparation for worship. I feel like that perhaps that is one of the lost arts, if it ever was in Pentecost, is preparation for worship. Now, am I not right in supposing that the majority of us have our lives fulfilled? We don't have to have. The devil tells us we do, but we don't. God will see to it. But is our life not so filled with the things going on around us that there is no preparation, prayer life, interceding, crying out before Wednesday night service, neither is there preparation before Sunday and Sunday night service. In other words, we fully expect for God to prepare us when we get there. And for that reason, sometimes we go through a whole service before God ever gets us ready to do what he could do in five minutes if we was ready for him. You see, we come with our mind carnal. We bring our work. We bring our kids. Amen. We bring our sicknesses, in a sense, and instead of bringing them at the altar where they belong, we bring them in and we set them right down in the seat beside us and we dare anybody to help us with them. Amen. You see, we haven't been prepared. We've just come in. Oh, my goodness, let's get in. Let's get ready. Let's throw on a few rags. It's service time. And we're going to have to hurry and we're going to be late and some of us are late. Preparation. Where was it? Where was it? What happened to it? And yet the Bible says there must be preparation for worship. No wonder we fall on our face so much. Amen? No wonder sometimes two hours is spent in a service before the great magnitude of God comes down and envelops us because it takes us that long to get ready for something that we should have been ready for. Preparation for worship. Let's read just an example now. The Bible says that the Old Testament things in there was written as examples to us. Exodus 19, 10 10 and 11 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify. In other words, with the word separation, sanctify means separation from evil things and ways. Sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of this people upon Mount Sinai. Now that almost lets me know that if we're going to follow the example that is laid down here, that it would take us from Monday morning until Wednesday night to get prepared for this service. And then it'd take us from Thursday morning until Sunday morning to get us prepared for that service. And might I ask you with all honesty, how many of us put in any time like that in preparation for the next service? Amen, Brother And then we come in and we throw up our hands feebly for about 30 seconds and we mumble a few few thank you Jesus's and then nothing is changed inside and we go home feeling like a flop and a failure and say God hasn't done anything for me. God is waiting for you to do something for Him and then He will do something for you. Amen. Preparation for worship. The third day. Now that's symbolic of the resurrection. We won't even go into that. And notice it. let them wash their clothes. There's something in there we ought to look at. It didn't say let them change their garments. Because as Christians and taking this as a spiritual thing unto us, as Christians, our garments have already been changed. We have changed garments from our self-righteous rags into the glorious righteousness of Jesus. And yet it says in preparation somewhere or somehow we're going to have to the washing of the water by the word wash these garments clean in preparation to meet our God in any service at any given time. In other words, I don't believe it's pleasing to God for us to wait till we get us in service and expect to immediately into worship and uh, I'm going to change your mind if I can on some of the things we call worship actually is worship is worship coming into the house of God well I would have to say yes that that perhaps is one form of worship let's look at public worship for a while A lot of us feel like that we can just come in, be mute mute and cry quiet, never do anything, never say anything, kind of look down on those those that get excited and move out about God. But Psalms 107.32 says, Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people. Who's He talking about? He's talking about you and I. Let us exalt God in the congregation of the people. And then it goes on to say, and praise him in the assembly of the elders, or in the assembly called by the elders. That's public worship. That's honor and praise and glory to God in the midst of a gathering. That's lifting up holy hands. That's doing obeisance to God and humbling ourselves to God. That's laughing with the joy of God and crying with the tears of God and honoring the praises of God and running the aisles of God. on us. are just simply sitting there and let the sweetness of God envelop our whole being. But that's worshiping God in public. I know a lot of people can worship God, they say, in private, but have never really found a way to really turn loose in public. I've noticed that these young people have a job doing that. Amen? And, of course, probably because those that are older have taught them that. Amen? But I wondered, really, and this this has been a burden on my heart, and pardon me, young people, if I kind of kick on you, I've wondered what it really would take to get a young heart yearning for God's Word. Whenever the Spirit comes down, most of them will get involved in worship. And I'm wondering what it would take, and seriously consider this, young people, as well as old, what it would take if you would immediately begin to prepare your life at home, begin to recognize God's claim on you at home, recognize God's claim on you at school, recognize God's claim on you out on the street, recognizing God's claim on you wherever you're at, and recognizing that and then coming into God's house and begin to clap your hands and lift your hands and worship and become fervent in the Spirit and say, God, I need your Word tonight. I'm wondering really in a sense what this would do for our lives. It would strengthen you no doubt about it. And uh, older people might take a lesson from them. Public worship. Let them exalt him in the congregation. And that's fine. And many of us do that. Pack the business here, I believe Pentecost has got its name more than anything else from public worship. Amen. It's quietened down a little bit in the last few years, I suppose. But uh, it got its name simply because of its ability to, as they say, worship audibly, uh, filled with zeal, I suppose, and all you could get it going, you could just get the building rocking, and that'd be fine, because they enticed people to come in, when the building was rocking. But it was no problem, still may not be, for the most part, for our uh, saints of God to come in and give honor to God in public. And this we also to do. This is part of worship. But what about, may I ask tonight, what about private worship? Do we have time for this? I'm wondering if I was to call for a show of hands, and there's always some, but I'm wondering really if we really ever set aside a time that we worship God privately. Matthew tells us we ought to in the sixth chapter, but says, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee. Enter unto thy closet. Enter unto thy closet, and when you have shut your door, That doesn't mean you've got to go get in a natural closet. But I think really what it's trying to say is worship and praise and prayer and it all coexists together is of supreme importance to the livelihood of a Christian. In fact, I don't believe we can ever attain a perfection God wants out of us until we have a prayer closet someplace utilizing that for the glory of Almighty God and the upbuilding and strength of us. But has not, has not the world, have we not allowed the world to rob us of the precious time alone with God? Jesus set us an example in the 14th chapter and said when he had sent them all to the way. He, of course, did a lot of teaching on public worship, how they should pray, how they should honor, how they should do in deed as well as in words. And he did a lot of teaching on public worship, but what we fail to realize that he did a lot of teaching plus examples of private worship. was withdrawing himself. said, when he set the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Now this is God indwelt in flesh. Why would he be praying? To whom would he be praying to? And all of this enters into our mind. But Keep in mind, this is an example setter. He's not doing this, perhaps, because he has a need to, and he's letting you know that place always has a need to commune with spirit. That's where our weakness is. That's where our failures. That's where a place gets dominance. Is when we don't commune with spirit. And Jesus went up to pray and the mountain apart to pray, and when evening was come, he was there alone. As the song that says. I love to be shut in with God. Shut in with God in a secret place. I don't know how the rest of it goes, but that song writer must have had quite an experience of finding a prayer closet, utilizing that prayer closet every day, perhaps morning, maybe even noon and night. Says Daniel went and threw open the windows and paced Jerusalem and prayed. This was a public ovation to God. And he doesn't say how many times that Daniel entered in secretly and set himself in with God and God alone. I'm sure it must have been more than three times a day. For a man to move and go about and gain the wisdom and knowledge that Daniel did required more than praying openly three times a day. And I'm not against public prayers. I think we ought to have them In fact, I think sometimes our lips are silent and we're afraid to even speak or pray out aloud. I think that ought to be ended. I don't think we ought to care who hears us pray. But there are times when this public prayer and praying in a public place does not solve the problem of the crying soul. There is a time that this soul needs to be by itself with God and God alone. Private worship to God. He was there alone, by himself. Nobody else there to talk or he could hear. He directed his praise and worship. A great, almighty God. Private worship. I'm sure that there must be many of us that have our family altars or have our altars in private. I'm sure that there are those that can and uh, can and do worship publicly and then have the same worship with God, same communion privately. But that's not all there is to worship. There's family worship. You hear what it says? Family worship. Has this become old-fashioned? Has it gone out the door in so much that sometimes in Christian homes not even a blessing is said with food? How many families gather their children together at night or whenever and have their prayer? Has Satan robbed us of this? If he has, he's robbed us of a very delicate, sensitive thing that we need. As an individual, but more than anything else, as a family. Did you ever stop to realize what a privilege it was to be able to do that? Ask some family that's been separated by death or heartache, and they'll let you know immediately what a privilege it is to get there. Let's read something in Deuteronomy 1611 and mark that down too and thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you, in other words, that perhaps are in your house that day. (laughs) Amen. I suppose there's some of us that do have our family devotions with just our family. But what about that individual that happens to be in your house that day? Have you asked them if they would like to be included in your family worship? Or have you forgotten about your worship because you feel it might offend them? Amen. I'm asking you, if you do these others, And if you do have family worship. But if you don't, you need to consider what a robbery it is to God. And more than anything else, what a detriment it is to your soul. Stay with me. That are among you, and listen to this, in the place which the Lord thy God has chosen to place his name there. What he's saying is that god has chosen to place his name in your house yes he did that's exactly what it says let's read it again in other words thou shalt rejoice before the lord he shall honor him and praise him or pray to him or magnify him with your son, with your daughter. That's when he had servants in those days, men, servants, maid, servants, the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow that is among you are in your house in the place which the Lord thy God has chosen to place his name there. Hallelujah. It's saying that God loved you enough and appreciated you enough and he's placed his name in your house and He wants you to worship and honor Him for it regardless of who comes there or when they come or how long they stay. He wants you to include them. And more than anything else, He don't want you to become silent just because they're there. Hmm. I just wonder how many of us have been guilty of that. Gather little tights around the bed. Perhaps say our prayer. And then if some visitors happens to be there, why, mom or dad won or secretly told them off to the bedroom and shut the door, hurriedly say a little prayer, maybe, and then go right back in to entertain visitors. Hey, look, God placed his name there for you to include everybody that come into your house. That's really what worship is family worship. Family worship. Now I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to think very seriously about it. If you haven't had family worship you don't know what you've missed. You don't know what you're doing to your life. And you need from this night forward to find some time early in the morning or at night before retiring or at midday, you need to find some time to have your family gathered around to rejoice and share the glorious benefits of God. In other words, you need to have a service in your home, and those that want to attend, that's their can, and those that don't, can just leave. That's worship. That's family worship. And then there's what we all lack. There's a joyful worship. Now, like I said, I I can't in any way do God justice with just a brief resume. But there's joyful worship. Psalms 101 and 2 said, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye land. Young people sing that song. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye land serve the Lord with gladness, come before His presence with singing. Now could I ask you, Christian, doesn't that mean that you should do that only in church? Hmm? Is that what that's saying? Come to church? Or is that not saying in a joyful worship you make a joyful noise in the Lord, you serve Him with gladness? In other words you're glad to be of service to God. But to many of us, it has become a duty in which we despise to perform. And it should never be that. There's something missing in our Christian experience when it becomes a duty to serve God. Then come before His presence with singing. Brother Larry, that doesn't say joyful noise. It says singing. So he's going to teach us how to sing. There's the only way I know of we're going to get there. Praise the Lord. Now then, a lot of us like joyful worship. But I found one here and I really didn't know it was there so much. Until I begin to look at it, and then there's instructive worship. That's a worship that a lot of us don't want to sit still for too long, but it's there. Instructive worship. Now that's just perhaps like many of us are doing right now. Proverbs 8 33 and 34 says, Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates and watching at the post of my doors. In other words, a man, our woman, our boy, our girl, that is an alert and sensitive to my spirit at all times and hearing instructions. You see, a prayer meeting or Bible study, in a sense, to a lot of people, is just simply not attractive. Not attractive at all. Of course, for the most part, there's never too much motion or spirit involved, and it involves mostly sitting and listening to some a uh, loud preacher or some dull speaker but to worship God and find how to worship him by listening oh what a great outflow of the spirit we could find if hey, we could find how to worship God by listening by listening to instructions and refusing it not and that doesn't just mean that doesn't just mean listening to me from the pulpit that means listening to instructions and advice of somebody that has been there, that knows the answers, and tells you the answers. That means listening to them and refusing not their advice. That instructive worship. You're actually worshiping God when you take instructions willingly and obediently and perform it. That's a worship to God. And that doesn't entail lifting your hands. Although that's good in that type of worship, public worship, that doesn't entail shouting, Hallelujah, glory to God. There's no dance in that in a sense. But there is a good feeling of having fulfilled what God has asked of us. And then after instructions have been heeded to, rather than misery and pain, that is in our lives when we do not listen, eventually the good seed that is sown will spring forth. We may not see any results immediately from instructive worship. Had if we will listen and heed what has been said by those who are knowledgeable, then we'll find that seed springing forth. And the joy of happiness, of instructive worship, I believe is better than any of them that I've ever described. To feel the sense of fullness, of having listened to what God had to say, and then do it. You know, I found that in our troubles, and I don't mean to come down on us because we're all that way. And I found in our troubles, most of it is really not necessarily blaming, we should blame the devil for it. Most of our trouble has been because of complete disregard to God's Word. And I'm saying this honestly from my heart. Your problems and mine stem mostly from disregarding instruction. We have not learned how to worship with instruction. And most of our problems, all of our problems. I'm not saying the devil isn't responsible for some things, but most of the things we ought to blame on our failure to listen to what God has to say. Of course, God's laws are for our good. And what he says in instruction is to keep us from future misery that at that time we can't see. But God does, and it's there. And he's trying to say, hey, look, it's just like you tell your kid, keep your hands off of that stove. It's going to burn. But for God's sake, this don't discipline a child and get mad at him. You know, just let him grow up and do what he wants to do. And the kid gets hurt, and sometimes the kid gets killed. And then you say, that's parental love. No, it's not. Parental love is realizing poison is poison and a stove is hot and will burn and a river will drown it. And all of these laws put in, if they're simply not avoided, God's law, electricity will kill, we know that. Water will drown, we know that. Fire will burn, we know that. And there are laws, physical laws, that says don't touch them, don't get in them. And God's laws are the same. He's just simply saying, don't do it. Because you're going to get hurt if you do. And all everything looks so good. Right It's a time, my, my, and we don't see any adverse effects. From it, My Lord, we're doing just fine. Look at that old old grouse that never does anything to please flesh. That, that never, never goes out and has himself a good time. Just look what type of life they're living. And look at all that we can do. And then all at once, Everything comes crumbling down. Our world has ended. And we say, oh God, why? Because we have not known instructive worship. We simply feel like that worship is coming in, shouting and singing, clapping hands, and going home and forgetting all about it. But this is just a taste. And God help us, listen to me now. This is just a taste of what worship is. Public worship, we need to do it. Private worship, we have to have it. Family worship, we must have. Joyful worship will thrill the soul. An instructive worship will settle you solid upon a rock and create within you a new heart and a soul and steady you. And the powers of hell is rocking everything else. You're not going to waver because you have had instructive worship. You know how to set and worship God with His instructions. Sealed deep in your heart and within your soul. Hallelujah. That's worth a mint. That's worth all the gold and fortmarks. All the victory that anybody can ever have. When we can learn to get past and do every one of these others. And then sit back and say, God... Teach me how to worship you by instructions. How do you do it? You heed. You hear like many of you have tonight. And you've heard instructions. But don't forget it. Realize what is far. I didn't get up here. I didn't spend time in prayer and study agonizing with God, trying to decipher from what I wanted to do and what the Spirit wanted to do. Just just to comb your hair straight or set you in order. All of this was done, and believe me, that it might help you become more solid in the ways of God. And realize there is such a thing as preparing to worship. There is such a thing as public worship, which we do beautifully. And there is such a thing as private worship, which is doubtful that some of us ever do. And then family worship. And worship that will bring joy to our souls and flood our souls. And I'll say it again, last but not least. And every child of God ought to cry and every church, ought to be filled with teaching sessions, have instruction to the saints of God. And everybody, Everybody ought to seek out somebody and ask them. Have confidence in them and ask them and then listen to them. You know, God has a controversy on that, and I'm not so sure about what I don't. It really doesn't matter about my controversy, but I do worry a little bit about God. But I think the thing really that bothers me, and I'm sure it must bother others, is a continual grain upon you for advice, then you never see it heeded. It, 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 it doesn't make me mad, but it hurts me inside Because you see, I know where your head is. I know that there's suffering and sorrow that will be that never should have been. I know that. How do you know that, Brother Host because I have experienced it and I still do it. That's how I know. But when we seek advice, when we ask for it, let's decide to try it anyway, huh? You know, if you've tried everything else and it don't work, what's it going to (laughs) hurt At least try it. Give it a whirl and see if it'll work. it's God's advice, it'll work let everybody say it. Instructive worship. Instructive worship. Say it again. Instructive worship. God teach me. Come on. God teach me instructive worship. Shall we stand?